or just welcome if you're joining me for the very first time. I'm your host, Chelsea Brown, or C. Brown in my writing world. First, can we just celebrate the fact that we're at over 100 listens on this podcast? I am so blown away by the support I've received thus far, and even more blown away by the people that chose to share their own stories of coming out or their children coming out after last week's episode. This has truly been a humbling experience, and I'm glad you all are along for the ride. For anyone wondering, Hybrid is doing well. No more seizures, thank goodness. He's continuing to be his normal, goofy self. Someone stopped me on one of our walks to tell me how impressed they are with how well-behaved he is. I had to laugh and tell them that he saves all of his bad behavior for me at home and just wants to impress everyone outside the house. For example, he just got on the counter earlier this week and took some food and got it all over the floor, and he knows better than that, but here we are. He's very much a sucker for attention, so anyone fawning over him outside is a good day in the life of hybrid. Every night, he needs to come whine in my face for at least a few minutes, just in case there's an iota of attention I mistakenly allotted somewhere else other than him. And while I'm trying to avoid Hybrid's gigantic head in front of the TV, I'm currently watching Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. This show is like prime trash TV. I can't look away. The premise of the show is that a group of people sign up for what they think will just be a love-based reality show hosted on an island. In actuality, they're being set up and have to refrain from any sexual contact whatsoever with the other contestants. Each instance of sexual contact results in a deduction of money from the $100,000 prize at the end. Last year, on season one, the remaining money was divided between the contestants at the end. This year, there was an announcement that the money will not be equally divided. Honestly, I love this new development. I'm about halfway through the show right now, and one couple is responsible for half of the money loss infractions. Like, five out of ten. Should they get equal money as the ones that haven't messed up at all? I don't think so. So I think that's a great addition. If the producers are listening, which is unlikely, but hey, you never know, I have a suggestion. I think the contestants would take the money much more seriously if they could see it. So I would have a glass box full of the $100,000 in cash and with each infraction, send somebody out to take whatever money they lost out of the box. So not only do we know, okay, we lost $3,000, but we physically see the money being taken. It's the same concept as like shopping with a credit card versus cash. With a credit card, it's much easier to go overboard because you don't necessarily see someone taking your money out of your hands. So there you go, Netflix. Hit me up for more great ideas on your originals. I got you. And, of course, I'm also watching The Bachelorette, another prime trash TV series. I have concerns with this season. I like Katie as a person, and I liked her on the previous Bachelor season. I just feel like she's giving the guys mixed signals about how to handle the drama in the house. First, she says they should come to her, and then she says they should trust her. And I don't blame the guys for being confused, because I'm confused, too. 
but I do blame the guys for hyperfixating on drama that has nothing to do with their own relationship. But how could they not when she's rewarding them basically for tattling? What is our motto here? Worry about yourself. And as I say all that, I realize it's good trash TV, and I'm sure it's edited specifically so I have these thoughts and come to this conclusion, because you can bet your bibby I will be watching next week too. As for reading, I've been slacking, to be perfectly honest with you, but I'm taking it as a good thing. I've really been focusing on writing my fourth book, tentatively titled The Hanged Man, The Moon, and The Reversed Magician. It's a psychological horror about a woman named Ari, whose sister dies under mysterious circumstances. Ari will have to sift through spirits and her own demons to find out what really happened to her sister. It's been really fun to write, which is kind of weird to say given the subject matter, but I love the horror genre. I'm not heavy into gore, but I'm trying to create scenes that make it a little difficult to turn off the lights at night. And I think because my brain is so focused on these horror scenes, it's hard for me to switch gears into Outlander or If You Must Know. One is a romance and one is more women's fiction. Neither really fits with where I'm currently thinking. And this is one of those scenarios where I kind of want to put those down and pick them up when I'm ready for something lighter to read. Maybe I want to start The Shining or the next book in this kidnapping hostage series I started a while ago. I recently got a Kindle and I'm enjoying the Kindle Unlimited it came with. I filled my Kindle library with suspense and horror for when I finally decide to pull the trigger and dive into something scary. And you know what? I'm actually surprised with how much I like the Kindle. I got it on sale on Prime Day because y'all know how much I love a sale. I figured it was almost half off and I could return it if I didn't like it. I had a Kindle Fire like 10 years ago that I liked, but I didn't love it. I used it on and off, but never consistently, always preferring to read a physical book. I think that that particular Kindle was trying too hard to be a tablet and not hard enough to be an e-reader. The Kindle I have now, the Paperwhite, is pretty much just an e-reader, which is exactly what I wanted. It's the size of a small paperback, it's super light, like lighter than my cell phone, and the screen doesn't glare, which is perfect for me when I'm reading in the pool. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten books wet by trying to pool read. It messes up the pages and they're all wrinkly and never the same afterwards. Not to mention that my arms get tired after 20 minutes of trying to hold up a 600-page hardcover. Oh, and this Kindle is waterproof too, so the chances of me ruining it are pretty low. When I was younger, I was notorious for getting my phones wet. I put one through the washer, a couple fell out of my back pocket into the toilet, so when phones became water resistant, it was a relief for me. So yeah, I'm liking the Kindle so far. It's nothing fancy, just letting me read. And honestly, I still prefer the feeling and the smell of a real book, but the Kindle's getting the job done. And who knows, maybe I'll become an e-reader convert. All right, so this week I wanted to dive into something that's been weighing on my mind, especially lately, and that's loss and the grieving process. 
About three years ago, my best friend died pretty suddenly after struggling for years with an illness, pulmonary hypertension. It's not something that typically manifests in 20-somethings, and it's a pretty rare disease in general. I don't really want to dive too deep into her diagnosis, but if you want to read more about them and about her mental state at the time, she has a website that's still up and running at breathinganew.wixsite.com forward slash myjourney. I'll put a link in the description for anyone who wants to go take a look. I've always found grief to be a very private thing for me, but then again, what isn't private to an introvert? Near the end of last year, I wrote an essay called On Grief that I posted on my blog. I'm going to share it with you guys now. In my backyard, there's a patch of dirt that absolutely refuses to grow grass. I say patch, but truthfully, it's probably 60% of the total backyard area. When it rains, the dirt patch becomes a mud patch. It's treacherously slick when wet and takes days to dry out. I never paid it much attention until it became the dirt patch. I didn't appreciate the grass that grew in spite of the Texas heat until it was gone. It was only a fact, quite literally just a part of the scenery. Years ago, we had our siding replaced. During the replacement process, the contractors left debris on the grass. Trash not taken care of immediately has a way of multiplying and traveling. To this very day, I can go into the dirt patch and find leftover old siding pieces that the dirt patch has claimed for its own. That grass underwent trauma for weeks during the construction until finally it ceased to exist. Two years ago, my best friend died. Her death was expected, but sudden. The trauma rolled over me in waves until, like the grass, I ceased to exist. Some might call it dissociation, others might say it was a depressive episode. I was a specter in my own life, fighting against the void that constantly threatened to drown me. Months flipped by like two slow frames in an old movie, and I hardly noticed their passing. Holidays came and went in a flurry of uncomfortable stares and how-are-you-doings. I found out quickly that many people who asked, though well-meaning, didn't want a truthful answer. I fell back on I'm fines and plastered on smiles followed by escapes to the bathroom. I would stare at my reflection without recognizing the face looking back. She was a stranger. Someone I'd seen a few times, maybe in passing at the grocery store or at a yoga class. Had her eyes always been that color? Had she always been so pale? When was the last time she slept through the night? My cheekbones strained at my thinning skin and I wondered if I'd eaten. Time is a heartless teacher and she drove ever forward. She hardened me, closed me off. In some ways I felt betrayed by such a sudden death as though it was a personal offense. In truth, I wasn't owed anything by a woman on her deathbed. I'm still not owed anything. But in the stillness of night, while the world sleeps around me, I still feel the ghost of that old hurt settle into the bed beside me. I found days difficult to navigate. It was as if the earth had shifted on its axis, but no one told me. My own self-imposed writing deadlines, dutifully met in the past, came and went with nothing to show for them. Projects fell to the wayside. My husband stood sentry, concerned for me but letting me have space, making sure I was cared for while I weathered the storm raging inside me. Looking back, there are at least six months in my memory that are unaccounted for. 
blank. If I see pictures from that time, the memory is hazy, as though someone else is describing the scene to me. Before I'd gotten confirmation of her passing, I felt it like a physical thing. I felt her absence from the earth in my bones. When she died, I felt a part of me, a vital blood of my blood part of me, die too. After her death, I shared this on social media. Today, the world stopped making sense to me. Today, I found out my best friend passed on Friday evening. I'm angry, I'm soul-crushingly sad, and even a little scared for the future ahead without her. If you met Maddie, you had no option but to love her. She was kind, strong, smart, and she had a way of making you feel like you were all of those things too. I'll miss her teasing me about the fact I can't work foreign toilets. I'll miss trading recipes and having whole conversations in Harry Potter quotes. I'll miss staying up way too late on the weeks I'd come visit because we didn't want to waste a single moment. But I am so grateful for the memories I do have and can cherish in her absence. Maddie, you were my family. I love you so much, babes. In the years since, I've been largely silent in my grief. It was, and remains to be, a private thing for me. I've never found it easy to share my feelings, and doing so after her passing felt more performative than truthful. Besides, the only person I wanted to talk to about it was her. The thing about grief that no one tells you is that it's never truly gone. The sorrow is waiting for you in the darkness of insomniac nights, or in the brightness of a memory very nearly forgotten. Some people say that grief is love with nowhere to go. I think grief is the price we pay for love. It is the gold coins on our loved one's eyes as they pass over the river Styx. To love someone is a privilege, and there is no privilege in this world that is free. That essay was really hard to write and really hard to read, again, to be honest. For a moment, though, it felt like some of the poison I've been carrying in my veins leaked out. I was finally able to put into words what I was feeling. But the thing about that is that finding the words and letting go of the hurt are two very separate endeavors. Because I'll be totally transparent with you all, I'm kind of mad at her still. Okay, I'm, I'm really mad at her. When she died, I felt her absence from the world. I tried to get a hold of her, panicked, through text, phone calls, Snapchats, nothing. I tried to get a hold of her family. Finally, her dad calls to tell me the news. And even though I knew it, I knew it in my soul of souls, it hit me like a gut punch. You always think that you'll say something poignant or you'll just start crying. But when he told me, all I could say was, oh. If you've ever fallen off the monkey bars after hanging upside down and smacked your head, you can imagine how I felt in that moment. That weird buzzing feeling in your head, the sick taste in the back of your throat. I felt like I'd stepped outside of my body for a second. And when I could finally collect myself, I was mad. Like more angry than I can remember ever being. With all the ways we have to communicate, I couldn't get a heads up. And yeah, I know how selfish that sounds and how ridiculous and how unrealistic. 
How can I expect a dying girl to think about anything except the death that is currently coming for her? I don't know. I really don't know why I felt that way or why I continue to feel that way. But it's the truth, and I'm out here trying to be fully authentic. I'm sharing this because I don't think I'm the only person who's felt this way after a death or a loss, and I want to let you know that however you feel is okay. Grief isn't rational or even kind. It's really hard, and it hurts like hell at the most inopportune times. We just have to ride it out and somehow make it to the other side. So, in my last therapy session, I mentioned something related to my friend's passing, and my counselor is like, that's probably the most emotional I've ever seen you. It sounds like maybe you haven't processed this loss yet. And as soon as he said it, I'm like, yep, you're right, and I have no idea how to do so. I feel like I can't let go of how I felt right after her passing. Sometimes it just crops up out of nowhere and I have an off day where I can't focus on anything and my husband can tell something is up but isn't sure really what's going on. And truthfully, I'm kind of embarrassed. It's been almost three years. Can I just move on already or at least move to a different section of the grieving process? There's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. The acronym is DABDA, and it's one of the only things I remember from health class. I definitely went through the depression stage. For the six months following her death, as I mentioned in my essay, I have no memory. I can look back on pictures that were taken at the time and be like, oh yeah, we went to Seattle and ordered way too much dim sum. But the memory feels like a dream or something somebody else told me about and I'm remembering their retelling. I'm assuming that is significant because my counselor was typing like crazy when I told him that, but for me it was just like, okay, this really sucks, let's just make it out of this dark tunnel and see what comes next. And what came next was the anger, again, which, let me tell you, is exhausting. I will be perfectly fine for weeks, and then all of a sudden, something will remind me of her. Like, I'll see a Grey's Anatomy sticker on the back of someone's car. It was her favorite show. Or I'll see her favorite color everywhere one day, and I'm just like, well, I guess I'll be playing Assassin's Creed for the next two weeks while I work off this absolute rage. To be perfectly honest with you guys, I find it very difficult to go to her website or even her Facebook page. I have everything muted because I just, I just can't look at that. I have an old picture of us from our high school soccer days pinned to my corkboard next to my desk, and it's painful to look at too. So why do I keep it there? Even though I'm still mad at her and still angry and sad in general, I think it's important to have a reminder of a serious loss. I didn't know she was going to die like that and that suddenly. Even though she'd been struggling with her health, she took a swift turn for the worse just a few days before she passed. So although maybe it wasn't completely unexpected, it still blindsided me, you know? And in truth, that could happen at any time to any of us. We never know when our numbers are up. It's important to tell people you love them and to treat every day like it has value because it does. As an introvert, I think it's especially hard to communicate with people that you love them. 
I feel like I just want to leave like little offerings of cookies and run away before I second guess myself and wonder if I'm smothering the person with this tiny scrap of affection. I have another friend, one of my closest friends, who is struggling with cancer right now. And let me tell y'all, this feels like deja vu in the absolute worst possible way. It's been really triggering for me and reminding me of the absolute hell that I was living in after Maddie passed. And even more so, this friend is my husband's best friend, more like a brother to him. So imagining my husband, this strong man who has been my rock always will be, going through what I went through three years ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough, man. But again, this feels like a second chance in a weird, sick way. I can make sure my friend knows he's loved and knows we have his back no matter what. His treatments have been super successful and he seems to be doing well, but you never really know with the human body. And now I can kind of prepare myself for the worst case scenario and be certain that I'll have no regrets about our friendship. The worst thing is wondering if you could have or should have done something differently with a friend. With Maddie, I've spent actual years wondering why she didn't tell me what was going on and what was about to happen. Was I a bad friend? Did I fail her in some way? I don't know. I'd like to think that in spite of my own personal shortcomings that, let's face it, do affect my interpersonal relationships, we had a good friendship. But at the end of the day, I can't ask a dead person what happened. So now I have the opportunity to make sure I do things right, so to speak, for the people who are still alive. And in truth, that's where the idea for my fourth book came from. I think I'm using this writing as a kind of therapy. And I also keep thinking that no one will ever see it. It'll never see the light of day. But in a weird way, in kind of a weird you know, gut feeling, I know that it will. This is a story that I'm super passionate about and I feel like I just need to share it with people and other people need to hear it. So where does all of this leave me? I still have not the vaguest idea of how to process grief. In the past, when my grandfather died or my aunt died, the loss wasn't really discussed. I remember sitting in the window listening to music after my grandfather passed and being scolded because it wasn't a healthy way to process grief. I mean, like, I'm 14, first of all, so how could I possibly know that? And secondly, even though I was told that listening to music and kind of secluding myself was somehow not healthy, I wasn't really offered a healthy alternative. So I guess now, as an adult, with no knowledge of what I'm supposed to do, I do nothing, which then makes this whole thing much more difficult on me, physically, emotionally, mentally. And frankly, it bleeds into other aspects of my life where I have to deal with other tough emotions. Luckily, I have an awesome counselor I'm working with, shout out to BetterHelp, and he's going to help me figure this thing out. And to anyone else out there feeling like this, no matter if the loss is fresh or years old like me, you're not alone. I'm right there with you. To me, when someone dies, they're gone. To you, you might believe in some level of the afterlife. Maybe it's heaven or ghosts or whatever. Maybe that brings you some kind of peace. Maybe you're in the same position I am, where it's been years 
and you still haven't processed the loss, it's okay to ask for help. I am a huge proponent of therapy. I've been in therapy for the majority of my adult life, and I can confidently say it's made me a better human, a better friend, and a better partner. It's tough to analyze yourself, especially the not-so-pretty parts, and try to change them or understand why they exist in the first place. I can assure you that discomfort pays off. If you're able to seek therapy, I highly recommend you do so, even if you've not been through some major trauma or what you perceive as major trauma. It helps teach better communication and understanding, better empathy. I truly cannot recommend it enough. If you can't seek therapy, I get it. I've been there. It can be very expensive, and I remember not too long ago having to choose between paying rent in my college town or buying food. Not to mention that I definitely did not have any semblance of health insurance. I absolutely did not have expendable income for therapy. There are still a lot of things you can do for your mental health. I used to journal frequently and do some yoga and meditation. Maybe you're not the journaling type, so you can go on daily walks or maybe get lunch once a week with a close friend. As I've said before, whatever brings you peace, do that. And on that note, we're about at the end of our time together. Maybe there will be a part two of the episode after I finally figure out how to process loss, but until then, I'll see you guys in a couple Tuesdays. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at WriteCBrown, W-R-I-T-E-C Brown, or follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at You're So Quiet Pod for some memes and to stay up to date on new episodes. You can also visit my blog and website at cbrownauthor.com, where I have more essays, poems, and book reviews. And of course, please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, share on social media, whatever you can think of. Anything and everything really helps to grow this podcast. Until next time.